Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. We are close to the end of our experiencing God study, and um, I mean, I kind of approach it with a with a bittersweet taste in my mouth, just because I don't know about you, but I have I've learned so much from this study and grown closer to the Lord through it. Um, but I also am excited to uh, continue on with what I believe the Lord has, has next as we study God's Word together moving forward from this point here in just a few weeks. This past week, as you would have been studying through um, the, the daily study that we, that we have for you, we looked at God's will and the church. God's will and the church. And I hope that that was a challenging time for you. Um, one of the things that I thought about a lot was just how important the body of Christ is. And you might remember reading at the very beginning of the, of the week where there was a story that Henry Blackaby shared about a lady in his church whose name was Iva Bates. And he talks about how she was the prayer in his church. In fact, uh, it, was, it was widely known that she was a woman of intense and deep prayer. Um, she would teach other people in the church how to pray. Uh, when somebody was going to go witness to somebody else uh, who was not a believer, they would let Iva know, and, and then she would pray for that witnessing experience that they were going to have. And he told the story in there about how several weeks, or actually several months maybe, after someone had asked for prayer, um, this guy walks down the aisle in their church and comes to know Jesus as their Savior. And um, turns out it's somebody she's been praying for for several months and never met but she's been praying daily for this person to come to know Jesus. And that was a really beautiful picture for me just of how the body of Christ works, how some people can be a hand and they are very much a servant. Some people are known for their knees and the simple fact that they are prayers. Other people are, are known for the fact that they can just listen. Um, and if you need to get something off your chest and you need to share with somebody, they are that ear that, that can listen and, and hear. That's, how the, that's one of the beautiful things about how the body of Christ works and, and fits together, and that every single member of the body has a purpose. God has a very clear purpose and mission for his church. So this past week, we talked about God's will and the church. This week, we're talking about kingdom people is the title of what we're, we're talking about. Kingdom people, people who think not just in terms of the temporary of what's going on right now, but who elevate their thinking to what is God thinking? What is God's plan? What is God's purpose in the world? And how do I fit into that plan and that purpose? So today we're going to talk about being kingdom people. And, um, and, and really, as we talk about this, I kind of go back to a, a statement that I actually heard Henry Blackaby make in a video in which he was preaching. And, and here's the comment that he made. It'll be on the screen. You can read along with me. He said, every solitary believer is caught up in the kingdom of God, which affects and touches the entire world. The problem is that we don't believe that. We have purposely limited what we believe God can do through our life. You are a kingdom citizen, he says, and your involvement with God can touch the farthest corners of the earth. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you, being a citizen of heaven, can touch the farthest corners of the earth? 
That's what we want to talk about. But what I want to do first is as we approach John chapter 17, where we're going to actually spend our our entire time today in John chapter 17, I've asked Philip Mustin to come, and he's going to read John 17 for us and then pray for us. So in your Bibles, John 17, starting in verse 1. Philip? Morning, everybody. All right. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorify you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And that they believe that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me. That they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And care, and for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through, your, through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Uh, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though... The world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Will you all pray with me? Father, thank you for bringing us here together today. Thank you for your holy and precious word, and for what it says and what it means to us. Thank you for this body of believers, and what they mean to me. Thank you for Kivit today. God, watch over him and speak through him. Speak your truth through him. And 
protect him and give him courage and um, fill him with your spirit, uh, with all knowledge and uh, understanding, God. Uh, work in our hearts, Lord, in this church today. Just open us up to, to your word and just let us receive your word and uh, receive what you would have us uh, here today. And um, let us be humble and submissive to your word and to your instruction. Um, and God, just direct us and direct our thoughts and our minds. And um, thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. What I want to do in the next few moments is go to this John chapter 17 um, prayer and talk about what it looks like for us to be kingdom people. And this is just an introduction because you're going to spend your week studying this idea of kingdom people. Book of Hebrews, Jesus is described as the great high priest who is always making intercession for the believer. So while we're here on this earth, um, Jesus has left us here. He is sitting at the right hand of God the Father, and he is making intercession for us as believers. So when Satan throws the lies out there that tell um, us that we are not loved or we are not forgiven or we are not redeemed, we're not Christians, Jesus is praying to the Father in that moment and letting him know, no, that is mine. He is mine. She is mine. He is that great high priest who's constantly making intercession for us. In this John 17 high priestly prayer, it's this idea that, that Jesus is bringing us as Christians, to the Father and raising us up and saying, here they are, I love them, keep them, hold on to them. They are yours because they are mine, Jesus is saying. So then as we work through this, this whole idea of, of the high, peace, high priestly prayer, Jesus has three big things that he prays. All right, first of all, and you can fill this in in your handout, Jesus prayed first for himself. Jesus prayed first for himself. Jesus knew that his time to die had come. In fact, the very next day, he was going to be hanging on the cross. He says there, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Jesus is praying that God would receive glory through his selfless act of obedience. Jesus knew that God had a plan for the redemption of the world. That's the whole reason Jesus was, was here on earth. Jesus knew that he was an important part of God's plan for the redemption of the earth, that in this, this, this kingdom plan that God had, that it was important for Jesus to bring glory to God through his obedience. So as Jesus obeyed God, he was bringing glory to God. And Jesus here in this last hour of his life is praying, God, I want to bring you glory. And what he's saying is, is God... Um, the hour has come, glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. God, lift me up. Give me a platform to carry out your plan so that ultimately you would receive glory. And you know, think about it for just a moment. The kingdom-minded Christian is the very same way. God, give me a platform of some kind in which I can give you glory through my obedience. That's the kingdom-minded person. Continue looking on down there. Verse 4, Jesus says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. It's like he's praying, God, I've been faithful to what you gave me to do. I glorified you on this earth. I've almost finished my job. It's not till the next day on the cross that Jesus cries out that it is finished. The job is finished that God gave him to do. 
I've almost completed what you gave me to do. I've almost been completely obedient and given you the glory for all of this. That's a kingdom-minded person. God, I obey, and no, no matter what happens, I obey. Now, I am, I'm 35 years old. Um, I'm two years older than Jesus would have been when he, when he died. There has never been a night in my life in which I pray a prayer in which I know I am praying the last nightly prayer of my life because I'm going to die the next day. There's never been a time in which I've approached my prayer time at night with that mindset, I'm going to die tomorrow. I've never had to think about what are my last words going to be to God? What's my last prayer going to be? But I sure hope that if that time ever came in which I know without a doubt I'm praying my last prayer, I pray that my prayer is similar to Jesus. Jesus, God, I have given you glory with my life. I have honored you with my life. I have accomplished the work that you gave me to do. I hope that that would be the prayer that I could honestly pray. And I hope the same thing for you. So Jesus, though, this last big prayer that he's got before he dies, this kingdom mindset, God, I have accomplished what you called me to do. Man, what a joy that is to think about that, right? Challenge also. Here's the second thing. Jesus prayed for his disciples. He didn't just pray for himself. He prayed for his disciples on an, on an individual level, okay? In verses 6 through 19, this is a really long prayer that he gives here. But what I want to do is highlight several specific prayers that Jesus prayed in these verses, okay? First of all, verse 8, he prayed, They have believed that you sent me. Talking specifically about his disciples, they have believed that you sent me. If you go to John 3.16, you see that God gave his son. You continue reading in verse 17 of John chapter 3, in which you find that God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. John, excuse me, Jesus gives affirmation to the Father here in verse 8 that his disciples have believed that God sent him into the world. He's not just an ordinary man. He's not just a good teacher. He's not anything except the true Son of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. So what Jesus is praying here is, God, they have believed in me as your Son. They know me to be true. So Jesus is the intercessor who's, who's even now telling God the Father they have believed, and right now he's telling God the Father again for us, hey, Kivet has believed. This Christian has believed. In verse 10 is another one of these prayers. He says, I am glorified in them. I am glorified in them. In other words, I receive glory simply by the fact that they obey and follow me. So just like the example that we have in Jesus obeying God the Father and glorifying God the Father through his obedience, we as Christians, when we obey and follow Jesus, we are glorifying Jesus. And so what Jesus is saying here is they have glorified me. Continuing on, verse 13, the last part of verse 13, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. That they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. 
little bit earlier in John chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus wanted his disciples to be filled with joy. I think about Romans, uh, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 in which um, that says that the Christian looks to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now, do you think it was a happy thing for Jesus to go to the cross? No. In fact, the night before, after this, this prayer in John 17, we find Jesus sweating these drops of blood in turmoil because he's going to the cross who for the joy set before him, what in the world does that mean? That means that Jesus' joy is caught up in the fact that he's obeying God. He's following God. That's his joy. His joy is in the fact that he is glorifying God, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father on high. You see, joy comes when we live in obedience to Jesus, and Jesus knew this, and so that's why he's praying that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves, my sacrificial, obedient life of joy, that they would have that, and they'd have it to the full. Verse 15, Jesus prays, keep them from the evil one. Keep them from the evil one. I think Jesus, more than anyone else, knew how dangerous Satan could be and how Satan can, is a, his specialty is taking our eyes off of that kingdom mindset, off of that eternal mindset and placing our focus so much on the here and now with what we want, with what we like, with what we think ought to happen. That what Jesus is praying here is keep Satan from them. Keep their focus up. Keep their mindset kingdom-minded. Keep them from the evil one. You know, Satan hates you as a Christian. He's doing everything he can to knock you down. But once again, I go back to that fact that we have an intercessor who's sitting at the right hand of God right now. And as Satan lies to us, Jesus tells the truth to God. Number 17, verse 17, sanctify them, Jesus prays. Sanctify them. Set them apart. In this case, I believe he's saying, set them apart for your eternal purposes. Set them apart for your eternal purposes. At the crux of the, of the Christian life is this idea that we are to live holy, set-apart lives. We are in the world, Jesus says, but we are not of the world. We're here with a purpose, a mission, but we don't have to live like the world. Jesus is calling us to be separate, to, to set ourselves apart as holy and acceptable to God. But I thought about this in a new light this week, because I've always thought about this just in the, in the terms of the sanctification being set apart to live holy lives. But then I thought about this idea of being set apart for eternal purposes. And I thought about how, you know what? I'm set apart not just to live a holy life. Yes, that's absolutely true, but I am set apart to follow God's purpose for me for eternity. And the way that I set myself apart here on this earth has ramifications for eternity. And I realized this week, you know what? Yes, I'm called to live a holy life, but I'm also called to live a sanctified, eternal life, kingdom-minded life. 
So Jesus' prayer here is sanctify them. It's a prayer that, that, that Jesus' followers will be set apart in such a way that God can use us. Verse 18, I have sent them into the world. I have sent them into the world. Y'all, this is deeply significant because the whole phrase here is this. Father, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. In the same way, Father, that that you sent me, Jesus, into the world, I, Jesus, am sending my disciples into this world. Now, I doubt that you would find very many Christians who are going to argue the fact that God sent Jesus into the world on a mission. We would all agree with that, right? He sent Jesus into the world on a mission. But in the same way that God sent Jesus on mission, Jesus sends us on mission. It's no different in fact, the way that God has sent his, sent his son into this world to carry out a purpose, Jesus has just simply carried that on and said, now I've got a purpose for you, my disciples. I've got a purpose for you, my followers. We're going to see more about that here in just a moment. This broken place needs desperately a glimpse of Jesus. And we are to be that glimpse that people see that then reflects Jesus. This is who Jesus is. Here's the third overall prayer that you're going to find here in John 17. So first it was Jesus prayed for himself. Secondly, it was Jesus prayed for his disciples. Number three, Jesus prayed for his church. He prayed for his church. And this is the last part of of John 17 that that we find here. This actually goes back to verse 9. I'm going to to read verse 9 for you. It's on the screen there. No, it's not on the screen. But I'm going to jump in verse 9. I am praying for them, Jesus says. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Don't you catch that? Jesus says, I am praying for them, talking about the disciples. I'm not praying for the world, but I'm praying for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. So Jesus is praying very specifically for the church, for Christians, the ones who believe in him. So the question comes up, does Jesus not care about the lost? Does Jesus not care about those who are not Christians? Why doesn't he pray for them? The context of the entire Bible is is so clear that Jesus cares deeply for those who are far from him. But get this, he prays specifically for Christians because Jesus knows it's through Christians that the lost are going to come to know him. Look at verses 20 and 21. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. There was a point at which I was one of those that we just read about in verse 20 there, when it says, who will believe in me. There was a time in which I didn't believe in Jesus. And if you're a Christian, there was a time in which you didn't believe in Jesus. But there came a point in which you did believe. And I love this because Jesus is praying for those who will believe. He's praying that I would become a Christian. But then look at how he follows this up. He knows that the key to me becoming a Christian is that the church would be the church carrying out the mission that Jesus had given it. The world would believe that Jesus was sent by God to redeem the world 
when the church is unified, when we are kingdom-minded, when we are obeying Jesus, when we function the way Jesus has told us to function, that's how the world is going to know that Jesus is legit. That's how they'll come to believe in Jesus. A lot of times we pray that those who don't know Jesus would come to know Jesus, that they would come to salvation, and we should pray that. Absolutely, we should pray that. But a lot of times I think we miss a crucial, a crucial prayer that goes along with that, a prayer that Jesus is praying here, praying for his church, praying that the church would be unified, that they would be on mission together, that as he has sent us out, that we would go and be the church and fulfill the Great Commission the way he's called us to fulfill the Great Commission. I think a really good illustration for this is found in the, um, in the pre-flight instructions that you receive before you fly. You sit down in your seat, you buckle your seatbelt, you oftentimes wait a long time, they start to pull away from the gate, and, and here's what you're going to hear. In the unlikely event of a drop in cabin pressure, oxygen mask will drop from the compartment above you. Place the mask over your face and pull the elastic strap behind your head. And then here's what they say. Make sure you secure your own mask before attempting to help others with their mask. What they know is that you're not any good to anybody else until you first take care of securing your own oxygen mask. And it's the same way with the church. And what Jesus is praying is that the people of the church would be that lifeline to other people, that they would take the lifeline that they've already put on their face, adapted to their lives, and help others with their lifeline. How in the world is the church going to be the church and reach the lost with the gospel if they are lulled to sleep right along with everybody else? What Jesus is praying is that the church, that the, that the church would be alert, that they would understand that they are God's plan A for fulfilling the Great Commission. That we are God's plan A for reaching those who are not already a part of the church with the gospel. And that's what I pray for our church. I pray very specifically that God would unify us and that we would strive together to reach the city of Winston-Salem with the gospel. I pray that God would raise up and send out missionaries from our church to go all over the world to take the gospel to the nations. I pray that we would be filled with an insatiable desire to bring glory to God, that no matter what, no matter what, what frustration we have, what irritation we have, what happens in this world, no matter what, that we are bringing glory to God with our words and our actions. I pray that we would be kingdom-minded people who want nothing more than to honor God with our short time here on this earth before going to spend eternity in his presence. Those are my prayers for, for our church, and I hope that you pray prayers similar to those that we would be kingdom-minded people, that we would move from the temporary here and now to, God, what is your will? What do you want done in our world through me and through our church? If you go back to the illustration I used a couple of moments ago about the oxygen mask in airplanes, my fear is that a lot of times we put our mask on and then we go back to watching the movie that's playing on the screen in front of us or reading our book or taking a nap but yet the person right next to us is struggling, not even knowing how to put their mask on. And all they may be looking for is a simple hand, a gesture, 
a, a, a kind word, something simple just to show them that they're not alone and that there is a hope that goes beyond anything that they could ever imagine that's available to them. May we never ever be those people who put our own mask on and then ignore the person beside us. A kingdom Christian is a person who understands that their lives are but a vapor and only what is done in light of eternity is going to count, is going to truly count. This past Friday, we had, um, we had a funeral service for one of our oldest members of our church. Thelma Moore was 92 years old, and she passed away long. She and her, her husband, Jackson, long lives of service to the Lord, missionaries in Brazil, very faithful testimony. At the end of that service, as I was, as I was closing this out, there was, a, um, there was a, a, a portion of the last book from the Chronicles of Narnia, book seven, The Last Battle, that I read. It's C.S. Lewis, and he's writing this. He's closing out this, this whole series, and here's what he says. You can read along with me on the screen. He says, so for us, this is the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. I can't think of a much better picture to give us than this, to, to understand this idea of a kingdom-minded person than this one. We were not made for this world. We were not made for the sin, the death, and the corruption of this world. We were made for another world. And that world is coming someday. And we will have the joy of living in the presence of our God for all of eternity. And when we get there, it's just going to be chapter one of the entire story. But while we're here, we are that cover page and we are on, on that title page. And what we decide right now and where we go with our lives right now is going to determine so much of the following rest of the book. So I want to challenge you to think in light, not of your circumstances in this moment, but think in light of eternity, of being a kingdom-minded person. Someone who just understands, I'm not made for this world, I'm made for another one. Father, we thank you for that picture that we've got from your word of Jesus taking his life and saying, Father, I have glorified you. I have accomplished the mission that you gave me. You've been glorified in that. And then for us to be, to use this as a, as a model, Father, for us to in turn hopefully say one day, I have accomplished the work that you have given. Father, I have glorified you. And then, Father, to enter into your rest and forever be in your presence. Father, thank you for this picture that we have from John chapter 17. And I pray that we continue to strive to be kingdom people. Lord, we love you. We thank you for sending Jesus to earth to die in our place. The death that we deserve to die, but didn't have to because he died it for us. We thank you that all is that, that the only thing that's needed for salvation is repentance, to give our lives to Jesus for him to use as he sees fit. 
Father, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.